honor of God as we read his word together, beginning in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Luke writes, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, filled, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. They did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word uh, again. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your gospel. We pray that your gospel would yield beautiful fruit in, in our community as we see men and women added to your family, children added to your family, and brought into fellowship uh, with other believers and churches. We pray this for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus, the working of the Spirit. Amen. Christians have historically understood uh, the importance of the church. They've understood how crucial it is for, for Christians to, to love and support and to be integrated into a, an assembly of believers, a, a, a church. It's historically been the case. In fact, it was in the third century where the, the church faced a, a problem. The church had undergone a time of persecution, and during that time of persecution, some people who had professed Christ denied Christ in order to, to, to save themselves from the persecution. And now the time of persecution was over, and these, these people realized what they had done was wrong, and they wanted to be welcomed back into the church. And some of the church leadership said, no, 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 you've, you've, you've missed out. This is, this is not acceptable. You've denied Jesus Christ. And other church leaders said, no, no, we, we need to allow them to repent and to return to fellowship. And one of the leaders who argued for a, a gentler approach was a, a church father named Cyprian. And he famously, as he was talking about how important it is for believers to be a part of the church, and he famously wrote these words about the church. He said, No one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. It was as possible to escape outside Noah's ark as it is to escape outside the church. In other words, it's in the church that we, we find the gospel message. In fact, centuries later, the Westminster Confession of Faith would say this about the local church. The church is the house and family of God out of which there is no ordinary possibility 
of salvation. And it's not saying that the church saves you, become a church member and you're, you're saved. It's saying it's, it's the church that preserves the gospel message, it protects that gospel message, it preaches the gospel message. And uh, apart from involvement in, in the church, there's no ordinary possibility of, of hearing that gospel message and living that Christian life in which the gospel message is on display. The idea that you can be a, a Christian but not part of a, a church is a, a relatively modern innovation. The idea that you can be a Christian but not live life in the context of the church, that's, that's a new idea. In fact, I was reading uh, kind of a famous person who used to be categorized as, as a Christian musician. He recently wrote this, I love Jesus, but I'm not churchy. I used to be embarrassed by that, but now I realize it's okay to love God, but not fit in with church culture. And then he went on and talked about, you know, I don't like churchy things like, like hymns and, and stuff like that. So what's his perception? I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm just not really into the, the church thing. Again, that's a, that's a modern understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Before, people who are Christians realize, okay, I'm, I'm integrally connected to, to other believers through this thing called the church, and our forefathers in the faith, our brothers and sisters in the faith, paid for that conviction sometimes with their very lives. And, and now today, sadly, we, we divorce these things so much. We say, you know, I'm a Christian, and when it's convenient, I go to church, as long as it's not too great of an imposition on my, my Sunday schedule, right? That's a new way to think. And I hope this morning and in the, the months to come, as we look at the local church in the book of Acts, we recognize how wrong, how unbiblical, how unhelpful that thinking is. And here, here in fact, is the main idea that I want us to think about together this morning. It's, it's this. You must participate in Christ's church if you desire to participate in God's kingdom. You must participate in Christ's church if you desire to be a if you desire to participate in God's kingdom, you want to do God's kingdom work, you want to do his mission for you, involvement in your local church is not an optional decision. God accomplishes his work through the local church. Now you say, Daniel, are you saying that the local church is, is perfect? Ha, huh. I've been a pastor for over, over 20 years. I'm, I'm suffering no delusion that the local church is a, is a perfect institution made up of perfect people. Please. I'm also not saying the church isn't unstained by the culture, isn't affected by the culture. No, I'm not saying the local church is perfect or flawless or any of those, those, those things. I'm not saying it's led by perfect shepherds. I'm not saying it's made up of perfect sheep. What I am saying is this. You can't pursue God's mission for you apart from a commitment to a local assembly of believers. And I'm going to be honest. This is an exciting message for me. You know Why? I love the church. I love this church. It is, it is hard for me to identify with, with pastors who talk about how bad their church is. I, lo I love you. This is a great place for me to be. I am, I am just sometimes in awe of God's grace. And I hope that you, as we think about these things this morning and the coming weeks as well, say, yeah, I love Christ's church as well. I want to participate in Christ's church as I participate in his kingdom. I'm going to tell you three things here that demonstrate how important the local church is as we see the local church established here in Antioch, and we see it 
kind of laid out here, and we see that we're going to see it in the coming weeks as well. Here's the first thing I want to think about. The local church, we're spending a lot of time on this, the local church is the goal of evangelism. That's the first thing I want you to see here in verses 19 through 21. The local church is the goal of evangelism. Now, so far in the book of Acts, we have been talking a lot about evangelism, the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. Now, as we come to the the church in Antioch, we're going to see more and more about the fruit of evangelism. What, What does evangelism produce? Evangelism doesn't just produce individual Christians. Evangelism produces Christians who are part of a church. Notice what it says here in verse 19. It says, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. So it's going, it's going back to chapter 8, when we saw the persecution in chapter 8. It's going back chronologically to that time. And it says, because of that persecution, there was a scattering. We talked about this already. And they traveled, but now it gives us a little bit more details of where other people traveled. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. This is an expansion kind of northward, beyond the area of Samaria. These would have been Areas that had large Jewish populations. And it says, uh, they also came to Antioch. And Antioch, there's two Antiochs mentioned in Acts. This is north of Jerusalem. It's, again, kind of north of of where the church has been thus far. It's not as far west as another Antioch that we're going to talk about later in the book of Acts. This is called the uh, 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 Cyrenian Antioch. And uh, this, this... Gospel proclamation primarily is, first of all, to the Jews, verse 19 tells us. But then, verse 20 says, as some men of Cyprus and Cyrene came to Antioch, what did they do? It says in verse 20, they they spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And this, I think based upon the context, means that they're preaching to Gentiles. Antioch is an incredibly important city. Whereas as we think of Jerusalem, we think very much of the Jewish population there. Antioch also has a heavily Jewish population, but it's it's more diverse. Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this point. It's some half a million people, maybe 600,000 people live in Antioch. One commentator puts it this way, Antioch reflected a marriage of Oriental and Hellenistic life with Greek, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Persians, Egyptians, and Indians making up the population. So this church is not going to be a Jewish church. Gentiles are receiving the gospel and believing in Jesus Christ. And the fruit of what happens in verses 19 through 21 is a local church. Look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with these who are speaking to the Gentiles and a great number of who believed, turned to the Lord. And what happens? In the following verses, we see those who are turning to the Lord become the church. We see this in verse 26. Chapter 13, we're going to see that it's the church in Antioch that sends out the first missionaries. The fruit of the evangelistic effort in verses 19 through 21 is, is people who are scattered proclaim the gospel. The fruit is the local church. Now here's, here's a couple questions. Is a local church just kind of a a happy byproduct of what takes place? So, in other words, there's evangelism, 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 and uh, as they proclaim the gospel, some people believe, and and they look around and go, you know what? 
we should do? We should gather together. Let's, let's, do, a, let's do a church. It just kind of happens like that. Or, in other words, is the goal to have individual believers in a church is just a byproduct of that, kind of, kind of a nice byproduct? Or, or, option B, is the church itself the goal of evangelism? You say, well, the primary goal of evangelism is worship. Yeah, of course, that's a primary goal to glorify God. But is the, in terms of what's taking place here, is the goal of evangelism to produce not just individual believers, but individual believers who are part of an assembly, a, a church? And I think the answer is B. The, the goal of evangelism isn't just to have individual believers, but to have believers who are part of a church. In fact, let's ask a, another question here. What, what even is a church? We see the word church, the word church occurs a couple times in this passage, the church in Jerusalem, the church in Antioch. What does that word church even, even mean? The, the word church in the Bible is from a, a Greek word, the, the word ecclesia. You think of the word ecclesiology or ecclesiastical, ecclesia. And ecclesia, that Greek word ecclesia, what it means is an assembly. So in Ancient Greece, maybe you have a, a citizen population, and, and they'd be part of the city, and then the, the, church, the, um, the, the citizens would gather together to make some decisions, and there would be an assembly. And that assembly, it was an ecclesia. Again, that's the word we get the word church from. It's a translation of the word church. And the New Testament, or actually before the New Testament, when they were trans, whenever Jews were translating the Old Testament, into Greek, whenever they were talking about the gathering of God's people for worship or the, the community of God's people, they would use a word. And that word was ecclesia. Again, the word we translate church. They would, an ecclesia, a, a gathering. And so the New Testament writers, as they start talking about the assembling of God's people and this, this group of people who've assembled for the purpose of worship, they use the word ecclesia. As we encounter the word church, the word ecclesia in the New Testament, it's describing a gathering, an assembly of people for the purpose of worship. In fact, uh, it, the term also is used in the New Testament to describe all believers, you know, universal church as well, but it's used also to describe the local assembly of, of Christians. Let me give us four thoughts here to help us understand what the local church is. This is so important as we move forward in the, in the book of Acts. Some, a couple thoughts here about what the local church is. Number one, a local church then, an ecclesia, we see in the New Testament, a local church is a group of Christians who covenant to worship God together on a regular basis. Now, a couple important things here, right? We see here this is a, a group of believers. It's a, a group of Christians. These are people who are walking in obedience to the Lord. They're baptized. They've been identified as part of Christ's disciples, and, and that's who's gathering together. They're also, the, we use the word covenant in there, and that's just a word that means a, there's a formal relationship that exists between these people. There's an in and an out to the church. When Jesus talks about a person being removed from the church, so it's a a group of people who've covenanted together. There's a formal relationship that exists, and they're coming together for a purpose, and that purpose is to worship under the authority of Scripture. Here's what God has told the church to do. Here's what God has told the assembly to do, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to, as we've talked about before, we're going to preach the Word. We're going to read the Word. We're going to sing the Word. We're going to see the Word. We're going to pray the Word. That's what the church is doing 
as we assemble. We worship God in the way that he says to. And we do it together. There's a, there's a corporate nature that exists in the church. We're coming together. We're assembling. We're ecclesia as we gather together. And, and notice, too, it's on a regular basis, Hebrews, Hebrews 10 tells us. And it's, it's a gathering that the primary purpose is not for the unbeliever, but, but for the believer. Sunday, more, the, the time that the church gathers, assemble, the time the church, ecclesia, it's, it's for the purpose of worship of believers. Sometimes people ask me, well, Daniel, you know, what about the unbeliever who comes to Bethany? And you know, what, what are they going to, are they going to understand? Or do we need to be a little more outreach oriented? And I think absolutely we want to be sensitive to people here who aren't part of the church, who aren't Christians. We want to proclaim the gospel. But the primary, the primary focus of a Sunday morning is, is the assembly of, of saints, of Christians to worship God. Here's a second thought that I think is important for us to think about. Number two. Believers who are not part of a local gathering should not consider themselves part of the church. And you say, Daniel, wow, you know, hold on, buddy. But look, look, here in Antioch and throughout the New Testament, we never have an example of a person saying, you know what, I'm part of the universal church, but I'm, I'm not really part of the local church. You know, it's not kind of my thing. No, I, foundationally, just under this word church, and, and, and by the way, we'll talk about this more in a moment, but sometimes as we think of the word church, we we've think of this organizational entity, and you know, I'm not part of this organizational entity, but, but a church is, a, is a foundationally an assembly. It's not an accident that the word ecclesia, the word church, carries with it the idea of assembling. It's, a, it's not some 501c3 entity or whatever at its foundation. Foundationally, it's, it's an assembly. It's about gathered people. You say, well, the Sometimes you hear people say this, well, the church is a, the church is a people, not a, not a building, not a place. I say, sure, but it's the people who gather together, right? And so, yeah, you can gather together in a really awesome room like this. You can gather together in a parking lot. You can gather together in a cornfield when it's mowed, I guess. It might be kind of hard when it's not mowed. Anyway, you can gather together wherever you gather, but you got to gather, if your person says, look, I'm not really part of the, the gathering, well, okay, you, you need to be careful because you're not part of a church. Third thought here, third thought, though, is this. Believers who are part of the local church remain the church when they leave the gathering. So that's, that's the idea we see in Scripture. There's Christians, we gather together, we become an assembly, we gather together, we worship, we read the Word, we pray the Word, we preach the Word, and so forth, sing the Word together. And then... Then we've assembled together, and now, because we're part of this local church, now worship service is over, and we go out into our worlds, and, and we remain part of our local church. I'm, I'm part of Bethany Community Church at school. I'm part of Bethany Community Church at the workplace. I'm part of Bethany Community Church as I'm sent out to do missions. I, I remain part of my assembly as, as, I, as I go out and I do the Christian life. Talk more about that as, as we go on. Here's a fourth thought, though. A forethought. A church, and I think this is so important for us to grasp. A church is not ultimately defined by its organizational structure, but by its gathering together for worship. Now, does a church need organization? Yeah, you, you see that in Scripture. You have elders, you have uh, the ordinances, baptism, and, and the Lord's Supper, and, there, and there's deacons, and there's people serving, and there's, there's all the different gifts that God. So, yeah, there's organization. We're not, I, I wouldn't say that a group that just kind of gathers together 
willy-nilly and, and uh, wherever they want and, and no, no sort of understanding of what the scripture says a church. That, that's not a church, okay? It's you, you and your friends hanging out, but that's not a church. So yeah, there's, there's organization, but, but foundationally, that's not what the church ultimately is. Administration isn't what the church ultimately is. A church isn't a church because we have a shared administrative body. We're not a church because we have this shared logo. Uh, we're not a church because we have this, this really cool constitution uh, or bylaws. We're a church because we gather together to worship. Now, let me say some, some things gently, but hopefully everyone's wearing shoes because I might step on some toes here, okay? But I think it's important for us to think about this. We, we in the U.S. church, we have gotten into some real mischief. We've gotten into some real mischief as the evangelical church in America. And I think one of the reasons we've gotten into so much mischief is because we've gotten further and further away from what this foundational understanding of the church is, what the purpose of the church is, to, to gather together to worship. The more we focus on an administrative entity, and the less we focus on what God wants the church to do, the more mischief we get into. And it's caused us to really misunderstand even what a church is. So for example, you know, and it's so this isn't about someone not loving the Lord or anything like that, if you disagree, but you know, you know how much I respect John Piper. One of the, one of the pa- I don't know of many pastors I respect more than, than him and, and his ministry, but he, he gave a definition of the church that I think is really wrong. He was talking about how his church was going to become a multi-site church. So you have a ch- you know, the church here and then a church, the same church. We meet over here, though, and then another part of our church meets over here. And he said, well, he said this about the essence of a church. He said, the essence of a biblical church community hangs on having the same eldership, having the same teaching, and having a unity of philosophy of ministry. So as long as a bunch of places meeting all over the place have this, the same eldership structure and the same teaching, philosophy, ministry, you're, you're a church. And I would say... I don't think so. I don't think that's biblically what we see. You need shared ministry philosophy. You need shared eldership. But I don't think, I would argue that an assembly that never assembles is not an assembly. You know, so you have a group of people over here who are worshiping. You have a group of people over here who are worshiping. You're not part of the same assembly. You're not part of the same ecclesia. You're not part of the same church. Whenever we were planting Bethany Baptist Church, Whenever we were planting Bethany Community Church, Bethany Baptist Church was kind of thinking through these different structures, and, and we realized, boy, a, a multi-site church just is, is not going to best communicate what a church ultimately is. And I think, again, I think we get into a lot of mischief as we focus on organizational structures, we focus on a strong uh, senior pastor or teaching pastor, as we focus on a really cool ministry philosophy, instead of focusing on foundationally, look, the church is, the church is a gathering of God's people for the purpose of worship. That's why I'm not a fan of multi-site churches, although many people I love are part of them. It's why I'm excited. Uh, it's why I'm excited about going back to, to one service. I don't think it's wrong to do two services, but I think it, one service is going to help us uh, more, more uh, communicate more faithfully, I think, what a church is. And that doesn't mean that God you know, can't have other plans for our church. There are some extraordinary circumstances where you do different things, like, I don't know, a global pandemic or something like that. But I think, I think coming together will help us, m- help us see the, the picture of, a, of, of what a church foundationally is. Now, what's the point of all this? 
church that becomes more about business strategy and administration and performances instead of evangelism is a church that's not going to worship the way that God has called us to. The true church can't exist without evangelism. That's what we're seeing here. And evangelism isn't happening if a strong church isn't the result. And so what do we need to do? We need to pray that the Lord will help us understand the goal of our evangelism that as we proclaim the gospel, people will become a part of a local church and that God would allow us to plant as well as, as he would will. As we do so, we'd, pattern the, we'd follow the pattern we see here in Antioch. All right, number two, the local church is the primary place, number two, the, the local church is the primary place discipleship takes place. It's not the only place, but it's in Scripture we see the primary place where discipleship takes place. Look at the beautiful thing that happens in verses 22 through 26. Notice a couple things here. Number one, notice that we see it's the church that has the mandate to make disciples. And we see this in verse 22. It says, the church in Jerusalem, so the assembly, the, the gathering of believers in Jerusalem, hears about what's taking place in Antioch. Now notice, too, these are separate churches. The church in Jerusalem is not the same as the church in Antioch. These are se- separate assemblies, but there's a shared focus. It's the church, though, that has the mandate. That's the first thing I want you to see. It's the church, not the individual, that has the mandate to make disciples. Whenever Jesus told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples, he wasn't speaking to them as individuals. He was speaking to them as the the foundation upon which he was going to build his church. So the church in Jerusalem hears about what's happening in Antioch, and they recognize that they have a God-given mandate to make disciples. It's not just an insular disciples only here, but the local church has been given the mandate to make disciples other places as well. Number two, notice this as we look at these verses here. It's also the church that has the spiritual resources necessary to make disciples. They, the, the church sends their teachers. They send Barnabas. Barnabas then recognizes he doesn't have sufficiency in and of himself to do this, and so he, he gets Saul. And Paul, whenever he talks to, to churches, is going to mention the necessity of, of, a, of an entire body being involved in the process of discipleship as churches mature, mature. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what Paul would write to the church in Ephesus. It would say that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, that's the church, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, and that we is not just individual we, but a corporate we, we, the the church of Christ, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The local church is the primary place where discipleship is taking place, and it's the local church that's been given the mandate to make disciples, and it's in the church that we find all the resources necessary to make disciples. You on your own, be it you as yourself or you as a part of an individual ministry, you in and of yourself don't have all of the resources necessary to make the disciples that Christ would call us to make. We need the body. Another thing I want you to notice, this is so beautiful. Notice, 
in this text and throughout the New Testament, we see hints that it's the gathered church, it's in the gathered church that the foundation of discipleship takes place. It says here that Barnabas and Saul come, and they're there in Antioch for a year, and it says they, they meet with the church. And I think that's not just in house to house, but there's an, as, they assemble, as they assemble, they teach a great many people. It's there that the disciples are first called Christians. And we see that throughout the New Testament, it's the gathered, it's when the church gathers, the foundation of discipleship takes place. Jesus would say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there, I, there am I among them. And then he talks about, the next passage talks about how, we, we also see in Matthew where he says, okay, and when as Peter makes the, the declaration that, that Jesus is the Christ, he says, yeah, and it's upon that foundation, I'm going to build my, he doesn't say small group ministry, he doesn't say my, my, my parachurch ministry, he says my, my church. That's, that's the, 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 gathered assemble in Ma, the gathered assembly in Matthew chapter 18. It's in the local church that there's edification and instruction. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, when you come together, when you gather together, let all things be done for building up. Colossians chapter 3, listen to what Colossians chapter 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, and that's not just an individual you, it's a corporate you, it's the, the assembled church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and, and what? Hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In other words, we person we mentioned at the beginning who says, you know what, hymns aren't really my thing, you got a problem, right, with what Paul says here in, in Colossians. This is part of discipleship. It's the foundation of discipleship. It's where God and his power resides in a special way. Michael Bird would write this as he's talking about the neglect of the doctrine of the church. He says, look, we don't understand, we don't understand the church in our culture the Western culture, because of our culture's tendency toward hyper-individualism. Evangelicals, he says, evangelicals regard church as a weekly meeting of Jesus' Facebook friends, or else the church is treated as a, uh, a business delivering some spiritual products and religious services for consumers who just want to get in and get out. Some evangelicals, he writes, have such an impoverished view of the church that they could probably qualify for theological food stamps, right? I think he's right. The church, rightly understood, brothers and sisters, is where Christ himself dwells. The, the Spirit resides under the authority of, of God the Father. Calling us to, to walk and live in obedience to him. Where we worship him. It's not the individual Christian who's been promised that the gates of hell won't withstand. It's, it's the church. It's the church. Last thing I want us to think about. The local church is the primary means through which God accomplishes ministry. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but, but look what happens next says, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they come from the assembly in Jerusalem. And remember, Jerusalem's where things started, right? And now the established church in Jerusalem is sending some people to Antioch, this, this new church. And what happens here is indicative of what's going to happen throughout the rest of the book. 
the, the church in Antioch is going to become a, a major force for ministry. It says that one of the ones who came to Antioch stands and foretells by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world and the known world there. And the disciples determine there in Antioch to, to send relief, each according to his ability, to the brothers living in Judea. And it says they did so, sending it to the, the elders by the hands of, of Barnabas and Saul. So it's, it's not just individuals saying, okay, look, I'm going to give some money to this individual. It's this church saying, okay, we're going to take our, our resources. And that, as, a, as a church where Christ dwells, together we're going, to, we're going to, as a church, give to this other local assembly and give it to their elders, to their leadership. You know, so one church to another church. And it becomes, throughout the New Testament, the, the pattern that it's the, the church through which God is doing his primary ministry. You see it in Romans, you see it in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8. There's this, this ministry that takes place not just through individuals, but, but through the church. And, and here's the last piece of the puzzle that I want us to grasp this morning as, as we think about the importance of the local church. Last piece of the puzzle here. The local church as it becomes the focus of ministry and the, the means through which we do ministry, the local church doesn't gain in prestige. In other words, we're going to say, okay, the, the, the local church is the goal and the, and the local church itself becomes the end and, and it, it just you know, continues to gain power and prestige. No, no, no. The local church becomes the focus for our ministry, the, the means through which we do the ministry, not so that the local church is glorified, but so that Christ is glorified. And so it's kind of paradoxically here, as, as we focus on the local church, the biblical local church becomes less and less, and Christ becomes more and more. So it's not just me as an individual saying, look at the ministry I'm doing. It's not an individual church saying, look at the ministry we are doing. As, as the, the body comes together, we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pull our resources, and we do with our time, our money, with whatever we have, and, and the local church sacrifices of itself for the benefit and the glory of the kingdom of God. The church doesn't gain prestige. As the local church is prioritized, its ability to sacrificially give of itself for the benefit of others increases. It lessens so the glory of God is paramount. God is so gracious to us, right? He's given us one another. He's given us this, this body so that by his grace, we can participate in his kingdom work. May God continue to help us love and prioritize one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your local church. We thank you for this, this assembly of, of believers who exist not for ourselves, but for the, the benefit of one another, and, and not just ultimately for the benefit of one another in this body, but for the, the benefit of other bodies as well. We pray that we as a local church, as you bless us, would sacrificially give and encourage and strengthen other local churches, and, and that we would exist not just for other local churches, but exist for the glory of, of your name as we evangelize to the remotest parts of the world. We pray that you would raise up people in this room who would give of their lives for gospel proclamation in places where the church does not yet exist, where your name is not yet worshipped, and you allow us to give of ourselves as we support them 
in proclaiming your gospel message. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.